Welcome to TTM Cast One on One with Jeff Baker. Every Wednesday, we'll bring one on one interviews with hobby professionals, former athletes, authors, and collectors. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. And sponsored by gemrate.com. The latest grading statistic from the four major grading companies is just a click away. Visit gemrate.com. It's free. Sponsored by Collects, the free app for scanning and valuing your cards. Use the app to build your collection and buy and sell with other collectors. Turn the hobby into your side hustle. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what are we here? TTM Cast 101, Drew. That's right. Yeah. TTM Cast yeah. 101. Happy Wednesday, everyone. My name is Jeff Baker, talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and joined by my friend and co host from Dallas, Texas, Mr. Drew Pelto. Hey, Drew. Hey, good to be here as usual. Drew, we have an extra long interview with Rick Dempsey this today. So we're gonna have a kind of an abbreviated show. There's not, <laughs> not tons of stuff to talk. We'll let we'll let, let Rick do all the talking. So that is coming up. Uh, I just want to remind, you know, we're watching the hockey playoffs. I don't have you been watching a lot of the hockey playoffs? Not a whole lot. I uh yeah, I've tuned in a little, but nothing much. I mean, ever since it got to be that two nothing series, I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. That's so. you know what it was game been four, five. Four. Game four was really good. Nice. Vegas took a three nothing lead and uh, Florida came back and made it uh, three to two. And they almost scored at the end of the game with it was a four. It was a six on four. I did see that it was that scrum at the end of it there yeah. that involved everybody. Um, my question is, why the hell is there not a 10 game suspension going to. Uh, what's his name? The defenseman came out of the penalty box to join into it. I know at the end, that's, of the I mean, the rule book is but, very but, clear but on this. The game, was 10, o- the game was over. That doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You cannot, you, you cannot at the end of a game, at the end of a period, any time like that, leave a bench, a penalty box, anything like that, and proceed directly into an altercation. It is very clear in the rule book on that. That has to be a 10 game suspension. Why is he not getting it? Uh, because NHL is fixed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't want to start conspiracy rumors and all that, but they, yeah, they I, get, I, they kind of they're very they selective. They're very selective about when they uh, decide to enforce that. So yeah, they kind of, they kind of do what they want to do. Uh, basketball. I want to congratulate the Denver Nuggets. Yes, getting in the first time they've won. I believe they're the first former ABA team to win an NBA championship. Is that true? That sounds right. I can't think of any. Um, the Spurs were the Spurs an ABA team or no? No, no, no. Um, yeah, they were. San Diego, San, San Antonio was okay. Right? No, no, no. Yeah. So San Antonio would beat them, but yeah, it has, it's been damn few. That's for sure. Okay, so well, sorry, sorry, San Antonio. You, <laughs> you guys are you guys are way down there, and no one no one thinks of you since David Robinson and uh, Tim Duncan retired. Yep. But congratulations, Denver. I'm very happy that they went. They won. Uh, I do not like Miami at all. I don't like Jimmy Butler at all, and, and I'm kind of happy that Denver won. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's their first championship, and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool for them, though. I mean, they just had, of course, you know, the Avs won the Cup last year. They get the Nuggets winning it this year. Maybe that's going to be good news for the uh, Broncos and the Rockies. Yeah, okay, no, I can't even get nah. to that point. No, I can't. I can't <laughs> well, you know what? I don't think that my Celtics would have beaten Denver, so I'll, uh, I'll yeah. 
Well, I'm happy that we didn't have to deal with that. Hey, uh, I've been busy doing TTMs the past couple of days. I sent out um, 30 1973 Tops football cards. Uh, nice, nice. Yes, yesterday and today. So getting some TTMs out. How you been doing? Pretty good. I actually have a few that I'm writing right now. I'm waiting on some stamps to get here because I'm sending out this one. If you can see the name right there, Ooh, Jeff, nice. on the screen. Julio Franco. I'm going to try him over in South Korea. He's a coach with the uh, Latte Giants uh, minor league team. So I'm going to try sending over there, see if that helps. And yeah, we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, I've got a few that I've written and just waiting to send out here. And yeah, we'll see how those go. Yeah, I sent out like three or four football Hall of Famers and then a bunch of other guys that kind of cool cards that I like. So uh, trying trying to get some football ones. And I have a stack right here of all baseball ones that, that I'm going to work nice. on. So I've been pull, pulling cards so I don't have to go chase cards down, um, getting a little organized. And I saw you posted a new video, Drew, post video on dfwgraffer.com. Well, it's not .com, dfwgraffer on YouTube. And yep. make sure you follow him on YouTube and on Twitter. Um, good video this, this week. Yeah, it was a pretty short one. I didn't have a whole lot to go off of because, I mean... This past weekend was my only one that I'm going to have off until September where I don't have any games planned to go to. I mean, Frisco is on the road. Cleburne's on the road. Didn't feel like going for the Rangers at all. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this goes from here on. I'm going to have uh, probably some longer and busier weekends here, which I'm definitely not complaining about. Well, I got I'm showing you right here, Drew. I have four TTMs that I haven't opened yet and two Ooh, eBay nice. returns that I haven't opened yet. So I'm going right. to I think I'm going to get put them all together and maybe, maybe I'll open them on Saturday's show. There you go. Nice. Yeah. I did go a little bit crazy on eBay here the last few days. Cause uh, Yahoo had a, uh, they got, there's this class action settlement that Yahoo did for uh, like privacy breaches or something like that. And I'm like, well, okay, I've got Yahoo accounts. So I might as well get in on those. And that they sent out payment on that. And what's funny is usually, I mean, it's like, if I see a class action lawsuit that I can get in on, I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I mean, Three dollars is three dollars, and then when uh, that one came through, significantly more than that. So, uh, yeah, I had a little bit of an eBay buying spree as well. That hopefully I'll be able to talk about uh, next week when those start uh, start hopefully rolling in. Awesome! So we're getting getting busy. You going to any games this weekend? Uh yeah, I'm going to be going down to Cleburne. They're playing against the uh, Milwaukee Milkmen of the American okay. Association. So I'll hit that game up, and then uh, next week I'm going out to Frisco. Very cool. Anything planned for Father's Day? Guys, remember Father's Day is this yep. Sunday. Make sure you take care of your dad and at least send him a card and give him a call on Sunday. Any big plans for Father's Day? Nope. Send my dad an email and a gift card like I usually do and yeah, rock out like that. Cool. All right. But I think we got all our house cleaning up. We're done. Next up is off. It's hobby happening. The hobby happenings. We get Let's get the show started. Leading off, we look at hobby happenings. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there is always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. Got a little news to talk about today. We don't really have a couple days worth of uh, news to talk about because uh, we, you know, we had a big, big show on Saturday. So just want to remind everyone of our uh, sponsorship with 
Collects, Collects.app. Uh, they are offering an exclusive $10 coupon for TTMcast listeners. You just get $10 to spend in their marketplace, however you want, or uh, you could buy a shirt or a sweatshirt or a hat. Um, all, it's really easy. All you have to do is just send me your name and your email address, name and email address, and I'll send it off to Collects. Send it to TTMcast at yahoo.com. Yep, and then I will send send uh, your name over to an email address over to Collects. Collects will send you the coupon and how to claim it, but you have to make sure that you download the Collects app onto your phone or, or your iPad. Uh, you can't redeem the coupon without the Collects app, so make sure you do that. Also, I'm giving away a Chico, Chico Walker 5x7 sign card that I got at Fenway Park last week. Um, so if you want to register to win that, I need your name and your mailing address. Send that to ttmcast at yahoo.com and we'll announce the winner on saturday's show so we're going to announce the winner on this Saturday show we'll get a lot of people entered so if you'd like to get a uh, free autograph five by seven of chico walker please send me your name and mailing address and uh put chico in the subject line right drew we have some grading numbers to report yes we do you know we mentioned last week with the holiday weekend that everything was down a little bit well uh, you're gonna see some uh Big, uh, some crooked numbers there in the percentage column here this weekend. Crooked in a good way this time. So uh, PSA grading 237,900 cards. That is a 28% increase for them. CGC, 16,700 cards. That is a 56% increase over last week. You got a SGC, 21,100 cards. You got graded by them. That's a 131% increase there. And Beckett, 21,000 cards getting graded. A 300 percent increase so nice to see those numbers uh, getting back up for all the companies yeah i think you know we had some we had the holiday and uh some nasty weather around i think that affected it it's uh it's good to see the the grading numbers kind of back up where they should be what do we at three four two forty two sixty two eighty so we're about 300 right yeah i think it was uh 306 when i kind of did a quick ad on it there which, so, isn't, yeah. which isn't bad, right? We're right, kind of right where we should be. Uh, just got, well, guys, I want to remind, we're going to be doing um, appraisal for your appraisals by Les. It's not really an, uh, an official appraisal. It's his, his opinion on what your item uh, might be worth or if it's the autographs are valid. Uh, if you want to send, if you want to let Les do a free uh, opinion slash appraisal on any one of your items, just send it to me by the end of the day today, which would be on Wednesday, the 14th because we're going to do i'm going to record less on thursday so if you have anything that you'd like less for praise it's still time to get it in send it to me at etmcast at yahoo.com make sure you include a description of the item and also a uh, a picture of the item and uh, we will do we're going to be doing appraisals on thursday which will be uh we'll play on our saturday show so make sure you you, you get into that that's always fun drew a little, a little auction news for you yeah, some uh, Wayne Gretzky stuff being out there. His final NHL game jersey from uh, Gray Flannel Auctions. It's signed. It's the third highest hockey jersey sale price ever. Went for $715,000. So uh, Gretzky stuff, always real big in the hockey world. And I mean, right there, you've got uh, got another one. It, it's nice. It's a nice Ranger. I, I like oh, the yeah. Ranger shirt. I, I, like yeah, the, yeah. I like the old original six unis. I, I don't think there's a bad one in the bunch. Yeah, I definitely agree there. And I mean, the Rangers, they've changed theirs up a few times over the years, but they've always done it well. I mean, even that third jersey with the shield with the Statue of Liberty on it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's one of the better third jerseys that the NHL has ever come up with. And my all-time favorite one, though, is still around the mid-80s or so when uh, they took the uh, 
the ones that had the uh, diagonal Rangers on it, but they also did a diagonal New York version as well, which is like, okay, that's kind of cool. I really like those. Ones. Yeah, I like the Blackhawks. I like the Canadians. I like the Maple Leafs. I like the Red Wings. Uh, I like all, all the original six jerseys are oh, yeah. just awesome. Yeah. Classic, right? Cla- classic. Absolutely. Yeah. It's and the great thing is, that. I mean, like I said, and they, they tend to do their third jerseys well too, which I like. I mean, the Blackhawks did, you know, they kept it simple, just doing a black jersey. And the Rangers did the Liberty Head jersey. And then... I mean, the Red Wings never did one. You don't need to mess with the classics, so I would largely yeah, the agree Bruins with that. The, like that teddy bear one. Yeah, that one not quite so good. I agree. That's, uh, yeah, they could have done better, but I mean, they've done better over time, at least whenever they've done thirds. So I agree. That. Well, you know, we talk about uniforms and uh, the Will Chamberlain rookie uniform. It's going to be going. That's going on. Oh, yeah. I think up until like the seventeenth of this month, so we will get a couple more days. Uh, it was, I think it was at one point one four million, and it's it could break a record. So we'll uh, report on that. I just, in fact, I just checked on the the uh bids before we we got on and uh it, it has it doesn't have any bids since the other day so okay um gonna be interesting when we get close to see where that goes right yeah i mean you just look a bit like that uh the psa 10 or whatever it was mickey mantle there that went a while back that uh went quite a while with no bids and suddenly at the end it skyrocketed so know, you may crazy. see the same thing happen here you may see it happen here all right guys so uh that wraps up our hobby happenings uh we have an um an interview with Rick Dempsey. I had a Rick Dempsey on maybe about a month and a half ago, right? And mm-hmm. we had so much fun. Rick called me the other day. He said, hey, let me come on. Let me come on the show again. I want. I, I had so much fun talking baseball with you. And he, he had so many people. He goes, I'm mad at you because I've had so many people send in autograph requests since I've been on your show. So you guys <laughs> are doing a good job. He's, he was only kidding. He, was, he, yeah. was kidding. he loves signing autographs. So um Rick called me up the other day and said, oh, I'll definitely have you on. So we had we talked to about catching. We talked about the new rules in baseball. We talked about, um, you know, signing autographs and stuff. So Rick's real fun. And it's it's about an hour and a half interview. So please enjoy my interview with uh, Rick Dempsey, who he was the 1983 World Series MVP. And he is truly a character. So please enjoy my interview with Rick Dempsey. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee. CSGcards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. With the summer just around the corner, baseball cards are heating up. Send your MLB stars, rookies, and prospects cards to CSG Cards for grading. Protect your PC and get your cards in the best holders in the hobby. Whether it's cards of Shohei Otani, Corbin Carroll, or Drew Jones, CSG Cards offers fast turnaround times with low grading fees. Go to csgcards.com to start your submission today and get $10 off the first year of your membership with code TTMCAST. Go to csgcards.com. All right, guys, we have a very special guest. He's back for a second time on the show. His name is Rick Dempsey. He played 24 seasons in the majors from 1969 to 1992 with the Twins, the Yankees, the Orioles, the Indians, the Dodgers, the Brewers. He was the two-time world champion 1983 with the Baltimore Orioles, 1988 with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he was MVP of the 1983 World Series, and he's a member of the Baltimore Oriole Hall of Fame. What a resume, my friend. What a resume. <laughs> you know, it, it could have been a little bit better if I'd have kept my mouth shut. I think I told you before. Uh, no, no, that. no. That's what makes you you. You don't, you don't want to go against the grain, right? <laughs> no. In 1979, when they lined up both teams down to first base and the third base lines to start the 79 World Series, which was against the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates, as I shook hands with Earl Weaver, I looked over at Chuck Tanner and I said, Chuck, if you want to get this series over with in a hurry, 
every time they get on, let them try to steal. So I threw out Marino and Jackson and, and Parker, the first three guys. You know what? Chuck Tanner got smart when he was down three to one. He stopped trying to run. Yep. And once he stopped trying to run, they had an extra out to work with. They had a pretty good offensive ball club, in fact, a great offensive ball club. And you know what? They pieced it together and they got the breaks they needed to get. And they came back three games in a row and won the World Series. And I, I got to thinking about it after it was over. I should have just shut my mouth <laughs> and just let them keep going, you know, giving me that extra out per inning. Because one out in an inning where you only get three to work with, you know, is is huge. So it cuts down their, uh, you know, their ability to score runs by a third. And so... Uh, that didn't happen the last three ball games. Didn't it amaze you as a as a, a member of these teams that some teams had it in them to come back down three one, where other teams you knew if they were down one game they were they just weren't coming back. Is it's just uh, team team uh, intricacies amaze me. You know, we just had the Celtics and the Miami Heat, and they almost came back. And it just seems like some teams just have it in them to come back, and some teams just don't. It, you know, a lot of it is mental. A lot of it is you get in those ball games and you're looking at that ball club over there like the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates and you're saying, wow, look at how big these guys are. Look what they're capable of doing. They have the best hitter in the National League, the third baseman uh, for Pittsburgh that year. And, you Bill know, Madlock, yeah. Yeah, Madlock, Bill. And uh, it um, you start to doubt yourself, you know, and those little thoughts creep in and then when you're thinking about that, you, you're not thinking about your, the positive part of the game. Let's get ahead, strike one, you know? And so things just change around for you. I've always had a lot of confidence, but it's a matter too of keeping your teammates in that same frame of mind at, at the same time. Yeah. And that's not always easy to do with pitchers. Pitchers are notorious for losing confidence if they miss a pitch or they throw two balls in a row you can tell by the time it takes them to get back up on the mound again that 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 mind is is thinking a million things that's why a a little example in the 1988 world series um uh we had a closer on our team why all of a sudden uh, Sammy Stewart? Me? No, no, no. That was the the, the no. This the was with the Dodgers. The Dodgers. With the Dodgers. Um, I'll think of it in a second. Okay. But anyway, I can't, I can't pull he, it out of my he's head. One either. of the best closers in baseball, and the, in the one game, he served up a fastball that floated middle into the happy zone when um, uh, McGuire had his had his left foot wide open. I was trying to pitch him down and away. And the ball floated into the happy zone, middle in, and he hit it out of the ballpark. And they won the only game that they ended up winning. So the next night, he comes in, and uh, I, I want to start uh, McGuire off with two men on base with a fastball down the way. And he goes, oh, no, 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 come out here. Yet. You know, uh, um, and he says, listen, I can't throw him a fastball right here. He hit it out of the ballpark yesterday. I said, really? I said, uh, you know, um, you're supposed to forget, right? Isn't that the, the, the one trait that you want from your closer that they forget? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and they got to realize, too. So I just asked him, I said, Jay, so what, uh, what got you to the big leagues? He says, well, my fastball. I, I, he could throw it 98 miles an hour. I said, well, then you know what? 
let's if he's going to beat us again, let's go with your best pitch. Fastball down and away. They throw the fastball down and away, and um, he swung at it and popped it up. And then he, he got, got his confidence back. He ended up writing a book about it, you know, about what that meant to him when I came to the mound and say, you're going to get this guy out, just throw your best fastball down and away, and don't worry about it. You made a bad pitch the last time. That ain't going to happen again. Jay Howell was his name. Jay, Jay Howell, Howell, yeah. Did you, did you yeah. have a – I know you, you caught so many guys and had so many teammates. Did you have a guy that really had the, all the physical physical gifts but just couldn't get over the hump mentally and, and just couldn't, couldn't um, you, you know, get to the next level because because he just hadn't, didn't have that mental capacity? Yeah, um, I, I had a teammate um, who got traded with me uh, from the Yankees to uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Um, lanky guy that, you know, armed from every angle, but had that whip. Um, I'm trying to think of his name, too. Today, I'm foggy for some reason. <laughs> no Bo Jackson must have loosened a few screws up here. <laughs> because, um, he was in that 10-player trade that, that we had from Yankees to the Baltimore Orioles when I went over there. Um, Dave Pagan was his name. Okay. And he had nasty stuff. You know, he had that three-quarter delivery, but a great release point, and the ball moved. It was scary. If it came at you, you thought he was going to hit you, it would come back to the outside corner, you know. Um, so uh, he lost the confidence in himself, and he was one of those quiet guys that never said very much. And I just couldn't get through to him. Like in two years, he they released him and let him go back home. He just wanted to be out of baseball because the pressure was too much. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that you know, even even a guy like Daniel Bard, who at the World Baseball Classics this year, he kind of just imploded, and it took him a while to get back to to have confidence to to throw his pitch over the plate. Yeah, I mean, they they do that. That's why I believe that a good catcher has to have a very strong relationship with every pitcher in that bullpen. There's thirteen, usually around thirteen pitchers on every team. Four or five of them are starters. Uh, in my game, in my day, you used to have only four starters, and then we went to five later on in the second half. But even the relief guys, you've got to go and spend your time with them in the bullpen. It's all about creating uh, an atmosphere. Catching isn't really catching; it's precision. Pitching is precision. Yeah, and you you show that target uh, down on the outside corner. He has to that. He's got to be in that glove within that circle. That's a, and if you have the proper mechanics and you don't rush and you don't decelerate and everything, you can throw that ball right to the pocket every single time. I've seen it done by some really great pitchers, Jim Palmer, Steve Stone, uh, Mike Flanagan, um, Dennis Martinez, guys like that were incredible at times. Scotty McGregor, Hershiser was amazing. You know, he didn't even have to, his two seam fastball was the best two seamer I've ever seen. You could throw it right at a left-handed hitter and still hit the outside corner. Usually a two seam fastball will move about this much, just enough to stay off the ball. Okay. Yep. Where a guy will hit it and top it or something like that. Hershiser's was that far. Wow. It was amazing. How far I could throw it inside. It looked like it was going to hit him. And by the time it stopped, it's hitting the outside corner. So it, <laughs> it was, 
it was incredible at, at, at times when I knew I didn't want Oral to walk a battery behind two balls and no strike. I'd say, as I walk back, well, I guess you're going to have to hit this fastball. And I'd throw him the fastball, but it was almost impossible to hit even when you knew it was coming. Yeah. That's why he threw 59 consecutive scoreless innings because when he got behind in the county, he had a two seam fastball that was unhittable. Never seen anything like it. And I caught some great pitchers in the course of my career. I'm sure when you came into the, the game, um, who was catching? Who was calling the game? Was it the catcher and the pitcher? Yes. When did that change, Rick? When did that change? I think mostly when analytics came in the last uh, three or four years. Okay. When analytics started to come in, they went to the computer and they went to the zones and all that kind of thing. It, you know, um, I like analytics in one respect. It gives me personally uh, an edge to know where the weaknesses are. But when you're dealing with a pitcher, um, and I know from being in the big leagues for 24 years and around baseball for 27 years as a player, that there are you have to change speeds. Uh, you, can, you, you can go with the zones, and you can see it in the game today. If you're going to continue to pitch, you see the glove go up in the strike zone all the time. Well, I mean, unless a guy is swinging at pitches out of the strike zone, he's going to get an opportunity to hit the ball out of the ballpark because right. of that ball and that's these, in the And these guys are so much more disciplined now than they were back when you were playing. They're, they're so, they're what? Disciplined. Disciplined in terms of uh, taking, uh, you know, making the pitcher throw strikes. Yeah, they're, well, they're not, I, I don't think that they throw enough strikes. Okay. You know, and I'll tell you why, Jeff. Um, uh, yeah, you know, they're supposed to go to the zone where the percentages are in their favor. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You're seeing more home runs with two strikes and no balls. You're seeing more base hits with two strikes and no balls. You know, um, it, it's crazy to think that, but you still have to be able to change the location, change the speed, change the pitch with almost every situation. But if there's nobody on base and you, you've got a good lead, you, you can, you know, I guess you could go with the numbers, but there's somebody calling those pitches other than the catcher or the pitcher. They so did, did, he, there, did, Earl Weaver, did Earl Weaver or, or Billy Martin or any, or even Tommy Lasorda, were they, were they caught, even at an instance, they would say, okay, Throw throw your screwball here or make him throw no, the slide. No, they no. would never. They would never do. Now I'll, I'll tell you why. Because we were taught back in those days to sit down with a pitcher before the game. With the and guys like Jim Cott were the first ones that I caught with Minnesota. Uh, he would tell me how he wants to pitch every hitter. All of them have to get ahead in the counts. Um, so a lot of them would use the same pitch most times. You know to get ahead. You got to mix it up at times with the better hitters. You know, like if you're throwing fastball down and away or fastball on the outside corner or whatever location it would be, then sooner or later, that third or fourth time up, as you know, that's when pitchers become a little more vulnerable. Yep. And so you might want to throw a slow curveball, but we know as hitters that the hardest pitch to hit is really a real good off-speed pitch. 
you can see it when all of a sudden games get blown out, Jeff, and they bring an outfielder in to pitch because they don't have anybody else. And he just lobs the ball up there and how, how these guys just break their back trying to hit it. You know? <laughs> That's funny. Because you've seen it before. I've seen oh, yeah. it before. They just lob the ball up there and guys will pop it. Every once in a while, they'll get a hit, you know, if they can slow the bat down enough. But that teaches us something about change of speed. Here's a guy that's not a pitcher, and he's just winding up lobbing the ball up there, and you can't hit it. I mean, it drives yeah. some hitters crazy. I mean, remember Bill just, Remember Bill Lee back in the day with the Red Sox? He had that ethos pitch that he would, he would throw up every right. once in a while. You're absolutely right. But it, it teaches you something. Change of speeds is very important in baseball. And working the hitter, what I mean by that, too, is, you know, I've seen left-handers come in against left-handers. The guy can throw 100 miles an hour. And the lefties are a little bit more intimidated than right-handers are right-handers. But anyway, they'll drop down three quarters, and the, and the, the hitter just wants to get uh, out of the batter's box. Remember <laughs> yeah. truck? Uh, when he was crocking and Randy Johnson in the, in and the Randy Johnson in the he a, didn't an want any game. part of that, you know. So you can be intimidating if you're if you've got you know a different arm angles, not release points, but a different arm angle. You can be very intimidating. So why not use your? Uh, you, you get a pitch and you automatically just shake no, and then you know you want to go throw the fastball anyway, and you shake no, boom. So then all of a sudden you throw a breaking ball when you shake your head. It has nothing to do with what pitch was really called. You just shake your head to put another thought in the hitter's mind. And what happens when that hitter's thinking about two things, more than one thing, oh, I might get hit. Oh, what is this pitch going to be? It slows the bat down just enough to miss the ball. You have to work these these things you come from the old days. Let the old guys tell you how they used to do this. You know, wipe two times, wipe three times. It didn't mean anything, but it put a thought in the hitter's mind that slowed the bat down just a hair and enough to get the ground ball or the pop up uh, to work. And so, when you do those kind of things, then you can set hitters up. I think it's very important to throw at hitters. You know, when uh, you get you get a head strike one and the next pitch kind of knocks the guy off the plate, especially yeah. lefty, lefty um, or righty, righty. If the guy's got a three quarter delivery, well, when you knock a guy down after he shakes, then the next time he shakes, you're going to think, is he going to knock me down again? Is he going to come try to come inside? Blah, blah, blah. And it's amazing how they'll take a pitch or a breaking ball or, or just a sloppy slider right down the middle of the plate because they were thinking they were going to get knocked down or have to have to deal with a 98 to 101 mile an hour fastball. So you and there were, there were some guys in your, in your time that wouldn't throw inside, right? That, that they, they refused to throw inside. Well, not so much in my day, but in, in, in the old late in my career, there were guys. Yeah. That were like that. They didn't want to throw inside. They didn't want to hit a batter and put him on. Because yeah. a hit batter is just the same thing as a walk. And I always had a saying, uh, but nothing good happens after a walk. And uh, it, how, it's how many leadoff walks get, get scored? Oh. Right? I, what is the percentage? Oh. Is it 50%? Especially is it 60%? Late in ball games when the relief pitcher comes in, Jeff, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, you walk the first guy, 
I guarantee that guy's going to score about 75 to 80 percent. It, it seems like it. I was at the game last week. James Paxton was cruising along. He comes in in the top of the fifth. He walks the first batter, walks the second batter. Blinkle and I, there's three three guys score, you know, <laughs> just don't walk them. That's try. That's the same kind of pressure that I feel when you're trying to hit a flop shot on on a green <laughs> down downhill, and you need that spin, and you need to be real soft and lay it on the green. It just doesn't happen. You blade it. You do all sorts of things. You know, you chili dip it. Oh my God! You know, and it then it gets in your mind. Then when that guy comes back in the ballpark uh, or comes back in a game again. He's going to remember what happened the last time out. Yep. Is why I say it is always so important. Baseball teams are killing themselves for one reason. They're allowing catchers, amateur catchers to come in and warm their pitchers up on the side. So they take that stress away from the regular catchers uh, that catch these guys during the game. Yeah. You've got a guy out there that never played professionally. He's going to warm up your pitcher in the bulb. But this is when you as a catcher from that team you're one of the leaders you got to go to that guy in between starts or in between appearances and warm him up and start working on that release point again where are you going to release the ball from usually i don't care if the arm angle is this way or up on top and over the top or sidearm or underhand the release points to throw the ball over the plate are exactly the same you, your hand might go like this to release the ball on on a side armor, you know, right over the top on that three quarters. The release point is the same. And you need to go out there and work with them and develop a communication that helps him get through points like that. You take control of his mind. Yeah. If he doesn't want to throw a certain pitch, that's easy. You know, but then you just work. All you got to do at work is where are you going to put the target on a breaking ball? If he's got a breaking ball, a slider that breaks this much, that's a pretty good slider. A curveball is usually a little bit more. But you got to know where that ball's going to land going over the plate. So you put the target down there. So his release point might, the ball might come in up a little bit in the strike zone, but where it lands goes right through the corner of the strike zone and it hits the pocket of your glove. When you throw a, 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 a glove down the middle of the plate, and you expect the guy to release the ball here, it's going to end up down on the outside corner, the, the amount of break that he normally throws. You know, so this, these are things you need to work with with every pitcher and find out exactly what he's thinking about when he releases the ball. I know it sounds funny, but communication like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you on communication. Way. You know, today they have those um, the stat trackers or whatever. The, the catcher has the thing and he puts a, a thing, you know, a computer thing in, in thing and the guy gets, has it in his hat and gets the, the, the pitch call. What do you think of that? Is that does that take remove communication even one one less uh, step away? Um, I, I would think so. Uh, yeah, it, I would think so, too. Yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, I agree with you there, but. There's so much that goes on, and that's why I don't call it pitching anymore. Uh, it's precision. Uh, if you ever caught a guy, and I caught quite a few pitchers in the course of my career, like Jim Palmer, the precision was amazing. The first thing he said to me in the first game that I uh, caught Jim Palmer, and, and I'll never forget it, he goes, listen, when I get behind in the count, 
I want you to sit an inch off the outside corner and call for the fastball, down and away, lefty or righty, it didn't matter. And you know what? He could hit my glove, and with my eyes closed, he could hit the pocket of my glove. And you know what? That was that's always going to be the toughest pitch in baseball to hit for any hitter. It's yeah. a, a good fastball right down on the outside corner. And when you can go to that one pitch all the time when you're in trouble, and let's say 90% of the time it gets you out of trouble, that's a pitch that you got to have in your repertoire. Not many young guys are, are, are early on in their careers in the big leagues have control of that pitch. They just don't have that one pitch where they know they're always going most guys are flying off to the right, flying off to the yep. left. Also, their arm is way out here before <laughs> they release the ball instead of right there at the end, you know, whatever angle. And it's uh, it, it's hard for them to ever get that consistency, which is why all of a sudden you see a guy come in from the bullpen and he walks the first hitter. A million thoughts going through his mind. Oh, I don't have it tonight. Blah, yep. blah, blah. You know? Well, how do you get them back on track? You go to the mound, you talk to them, say, listen, remember the other day when you were doing this and you were doing that and your release point was right there and you weren't trying to throw hard, but the ball was jumping off your fingertips, you know? He goes, yeah. I said, put yourself in that frame of mind, pal. Let's go. You can do this. You go back there behind home plate and what an improvement most of the time. Yeah, I know watching Kelsey uh, uh, Jansen this year and, and watching Craig Kimbrell over times, those guys you knew if the first batter, if they were if they weren't on, it was gonna be a long outing for those guys. That's when a good catcher knows that. He feels that. He spends time with them. He talks to them. He hears what they have to say. You know, what are their what are the things that make them feel uh, fallible? You know, what are the things that make them feel strong, you know, and um, and and good. And you got to get, you got to change their focus. That's who's, why who's it is the tougher, who's the toughest pitcher to catch for you? The toughest pitcher to catch for me was Mike Flanagan. Really? Because he changed, he deliberately changed from over the top to three quarter delivery. Sometimes he'd throw sidearm. Sometimes I'd ask him to throw sidearm. Okay. Say, so you would, the, you would, you would know what pitch is coming, but you wouldn't know how he was going to deliver the pitch. Um, no, I I knew when I asked him to drop down left uh, sidearm on a left-handed hitter, he'd scare the hell out of that hitter. And that's what I wanted with two strikes. I want him swinging at a pitch that might be just a hair out of the strike zone. Sure. I want him swinging at that pitch. And they lose their balance. And some hitters like George Brett never did. They never lost their confidence in their swing. And they hung in there a lot. So he was a tougher hitter to get out. But you could get him out by changing where your release point was. Some guys had that ability. Most pitchers in today's game don't have that ability to change a release yep. point, drop down sidearm, stay on top, go three quarters. You know, it's, a, it's amazing that they should work on. I remember going through an era, not late in my career, but past the halfway point where <coughs> pitching coaches would not ask would not allow you to ask a pitcher to throw a ball sidearm or three quarters because they, they weren't adept at it. They didn't sure. practice it. They weren't using it, you know? So they didn't expect that they were going to be very good with it. So whatever you, 
you move on. <laughs> what, what do you think of the rule changes this year, um, you know, for uh, as a hitter and, 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 and as a catcher? What do, what do you think of the, you know, the time clock and, and uh, no, no, no uh, shifts and so the bigger bases? Are, are you forward you know, the, as a whole? Um, Jeff, it, it has improved the time on the games. You'll see there's a lot of games now under three hours. Um, you know, it, it, it didn't bother me for a pitcher just to get the ball and get back up on the mound. You could keep them in that frame of mind and give them less time to think about doing something bad, you know, or something bad happening. So it, it's been a good thing, um, for baseball all along. Um, the, the rules that rule doesn't bother me, get a pitcher back up on the mound and get him going because it's even good for the defense because now they realize you know, he's going to be ready to go. I'm not going right. to be standing around out here wondering, uh, am, am I going to get the next ground ball? And what am I going to do? Uh, so it works in that respect. Some of the rules like uh, putting a man on second base after a, a doubleheader seven inning thing with nobody out, you know. And uh, Do you like the, the restricting the, the throw over to first base or second base to when yeah, the guy is? I mean, that limits a pitcher and the catcher. I, I really don't like that at all. Oh, it's terrible. I think it's terrible. Um, but, you know, some, some guys like to throw over a lot, you know, to keep no, that I know. And it's still part of the game. Okay, the fans boo if, if it's the opposing team. They boo. But you know what? They want to see baseball. They want to see real baseball. Not, not a you know, something that's got so many rules and everything about this, you throw over there twice Well, the guy realizes now the only thing you can do is pitch out on him now, you know, on the, and, yeah. which, uh, but you're not going to have to worry. You can take as long a lead as you want after through, after two attempts over there, they can't throw over. Again. I know it's really, it's, it really swings the, the, uh, the, the, you know, yeah, the, the advantage off to the base runner. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. 150 bases in one. No, season. I was going to ask you. You know, they changed the rule about blocking the plate. Do you remember uh, a, a collision you had with anyone in that? Like, oh no, what? I, I'm sitting here, and here comes Don Baylor or Bo Jackson or some of these bigger guys. You know, well, you know something. That's the guy I was thinking about because right after, not long after Bo Jackson just laid me out at home plate, um, they ended up changing the rules. <laughs> yeah, a day late and a dollar short, right? But, huh? A day late and a dollar short. Yeah, no kidding. But I was really lucky with Bo because at 230 pounds, world-class speed, he's coming down third base. You've got a tenth of a second to think, what are you going to do? You're going to go down and block a guy who's who's adept at coming in as low as you can. He, he's going to break your, your neck or something, an arm, a shoulder, or whatever. You know, I was only 175 pounds at the time, so it was a mismatch. So I had a tenth of a second to think as soon as he takes those last two steps, you got to see where his head is going. His head going down, I've got to go up. If he was going to stay up, I had to go down and try to block him low. But um, I wasn't going to step out of the way and Olay tag. I, I was going to face him man-to-man. Uh, -man. So... Right at the last second, I saw Bo drop his head a little bit like this. He was going to go low. I went up over his shoulder. You can see the replay on your cell phone right now. Uh, Bo Jackson hits Rick Dempsey at home plate, and you can see that. 
And it actually, I only broke my thumb and that was kind of freaky because I got the glove caught in his neck. On his neck, okay. And that strap on your thumb held on and took this thumb and bent it back, I uh, broke it uh, and laid it up against my wrist. And I looked at that and I said, damn, I said, it's never gone back that far before. So it is definitely broken. So I just pulled on it and everything when I went back to the Ouch. dugout and I said it. <laughs> I said it perfectly. They didn't have to pin it. They just put a cast on me, and that was it. Well, it gets so, around the league, though, that that you're you're a, the kind of guy that's going to take a hit and block the plate, right? So I would think that that you earn that reputation, so that that the guys know that if this guy is there, I'm going to have to take a hit if I if I want to try to score. Well, Bo Jackson is the guy that'll change your mind about staying. Oh, in I'm there. sure. <laughs> But all the rest of them, I've hit some pretty big guys before, and um, most of them want to come and try to hit you up in the chest area, you yeah. know, and and knock you and knock the ball loose and everything. Bo Jackson just just came in; he went low. Um, but you know, those kind of guys, I used to take those guys on and hit them at the low. Some pretty big guys, um, you know, were sorry that they did that. Yeah, part of the game. Because I learned how to get out of the way when I didn't have the leverage. So, (laughs) yeah, at at 175, you have to pick your battles, right? (laughs) Absolutely, you do. Well, you, you know, most of my career, I got, I got it. That one season, I lost a a lot of weight. I started uh, um, taking these, uh, these pills that cut body fat, you know? Okay. And all of a sudden I got down to 175 and that was too light for me. I, I usually caught about 181 to 182. Did it affect your bat speed at all when you got down to that weight? No, no, I was fine, uh, you know, with that and everything. So I kept my hands and my arms. Your, your hands are a big key to, you know, your bat speed. So um, no, I didn't have any issues with that. Right. Well, I know you're you and you're going to have a baseball academy this summer with Mike Bordick. Why don't you tell us a little about that? And uh, you know, I know you love teaching young kids, and maybe the, some of our listeners yeah. out there might want to take part in the the academy and how they can sign up for it. Yeah, it's going to be the Rick Dempsey Baseball Warehouse, and uh, another guy, Matt Morris, um, who developed the where uh, the baseball warehouse himself came to me and asked me, why don't we open up a school in your name and we'll put it in another part of the city uh, out by the airport in Baltimore in Columbia. And um, you'll, you'll, you'll draw a lot more people to your baseball school. Um, So I said, you know, okay, even though I don't live in Baltimore anymore, um, uh, being back there a couple times a month is going to be good. I've got Mike Bordick who set records for the most airless ball games in the history of baseball. Yeah. Humane um, guy. He was a big humane guy, right? Yeah. He was not a big guy at all. He was no, I know, guy. but I'm saying he's probably the best ball player to come out of humane. Oh, you made. I, I, okay. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was an incredible defensive player. You know, he got a couple of big hits in his career too, but uh, mostly uh, he was pretty solid at shortstop and, you build your teams at the major league level, catching short, second, center field, and the pitcher right up the middle. You get if you've got the strongest up the middle uh, team, you're going to go deep into the season. So you know, can you tell Heim Bloom that because the Red Sox forgot all about that this year. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is the thing about analytics, you know, um, that it, it changes the old ways of doing things when actually they spent years and years and years developing a theory about putting teams together. You know, um, you put your, your, your big boppers at first base and third base and maybe guys that can move around a little bit and play a little defense and your left. I mean, that's the, that's right. the old Earl Weaver blueprint, right? Absolutely. Well, it was a lot of teams uh, blueprint uh, coming in, you know, every team knew that they had to build a strong team up the middle in order to be competitive. Pitching and defense is what takes you to championship seasons. Pitching and defense has nothing to do with the offense. So if you can make uh, three, four runs, hold up in a ball game because you've got good pitching and good defense, you're going to win a lot of ball games. Oh, I know. Well, why don't you tell us a little about the baseball warehouse? Um, you know, uh, how many how many uh, campers or how many people are you going to have uh, in attendance? What to, what type of things can they learn? And if if you know, we have what age group or is this for? Well, the weakest position in the major leagues is catching. So I'm going to do a lot of catching clinics and try to uh, help kids understand, um, you know, the relationships that you got to have with pitchers to help them be better. Uh, better players and you know do you think that's because it's not there's not a lot of expertise in, in your position and people uh, exactly in, i mean the, they've let it high go school. at the major yeah. league level it's a disaster right now when catchers go to one knee and two strike situations with men on base you're inviting the stolen base and they're getting they have an advantage anyway under those circumstances you can throw guys out i could have done it too but i never did uh, I never wanted to make an error because errors will kill you. They're they're just as dangerous as walks are. So um, anyway, um, yeah, the, the point um, is to teach them the basic fundamentals of the game on how to field the toughest ground balls to get to help build that confidence that you need uh, with defensive players, infielders. You know how and when to charge the ball and and that sort of thing. And how to take it back and, you know, keep your head behind, you know, as the ball's coming in and, and left and right. Mike Bordick does a great job at teaching infielders how to make that move. You'll notice one thing in the game this year that's been a little bit better than the last eight or nine years was the second baseman turning the double play is coming across the bag on the inside of the infield, but taking his momentum to the inside moving towards first base it might right. be moving a little between the mound and first base at an angle to get out of the way of the base runner but you're you're saving yourself about two steps instead of every second baseman and shortstop stepping backwards and trying to let the guy slide and then throw to first you're missing a lot of double play opportunities no it's double no it's neat is and i think that it's really um a skill that's that's uh, been lost is the catcher fielding the bunt and getting that throw over to first base. You know, if it's a, comes up right in yeah. front of the plate, these, these guys jump up and half the times they're hitting the the runner in the, in the, in the base path. They're, they've got to, it's a setup and uh, a position, you know, when there's a man on first base, you set up a little differently than you do at other times with your weight forward. Anything. So if there is a chopper, down third base or first base, you're not sitting back on your haunches. you got to be up on the balls of your feet like you're a lineman ready for the snap of the football. You're ready to go. And as soon as that, that ball gets chopped up, 
sometimes I used to beat the hitter out of the batter's box. And if they hit you, it's an automatic out. Yeah. It was an automatic out because you've interfered with the catch. I've had guys step back and bunt, and I'm already halfway through that strike zone. As soon as I see that bat come out in front of me, I'm leaning into it. And so I get the, the jump on the hitter. The hitter has to wait for me to get through. And most of the time, it turns out to be a double play if I get the guy at second base. So, yep. so at, at, your, at your academy or your warehouse, you, you're teaching the kids all these fundamentals so that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, teaching them to set up is a little bit different because it's on the balls of your feet and they have to, they have to strengthen themselves when they do their physical workouts, be, uh, you know, uh, in the winter time or, or even during the season a little bit, you have to take into mind that your, your feet and your, and your legs are the most important part right there to maintain your balance. And then your arm has to be good. We show them how to even just grip a baseball. Some of them don't even know the difference between two seam and four seam, uh, the way you throw the ball. Two seamers are for pitchers to make it move. Four seamers are for infielders and outfielders to get carry on the ball and, and to make the ball go stronger off the tips of your fingers. Um, when you, you do those kind of things, those little parts of the game um, become uh, a big parts of the game when they learn how to do how to throw a baseball properly so there when any... they get young they learn how to get the arm up to the elbow uh, above the shoulder right here lead with the elbow then the hand and then the release point but it all happens so quick and then once they they start to see that they're developing arm strength by throwing longer distances mm -hmm. in their practices but then during the game they pop that ball and as you start to get older and everything, and that ball starts to carry all the way to second base, they develop a tremendous amount of confidence. So then it's a, uh, all about the footwork. We teach the footwork. I especially teach the footwork. And I talk to them about what they're going to see at the major league level that is not good. And then I talk to them about what is good, you know, and so that they know that, that, um, you know, uh, you know, during the course of the game, if they just remember their basic fundamentals, they don't have to worry about those kind of things. Bring the ball to your power side before you get ready to go. Don't stop halfway and then try to adjust. And, <laughs> you know, it's a spine angle, which is more like this. This is your head up here and your butt kind of sticks out a little bit. As long as you've got a little bend in your knees and you have that maintain that spine angle wherever you go. And balance, ball, right? You keep you, you want to keep yeah, your balance. Absolutely. You know, if you come up straight and you catch a ball high, you have to get back into that position where your spine angle helps you to drive the ball to your throw. There's a lot of different things. And those kind of fundamentals are used at every position. When guys st stand up straight and everything, their shoulder angle it starts off like this, throwing, you know, up in the air. Up in the air is over somebody's head in the right. infield, you know. And, and the same thing in the uh, when you're throwing from the outfield. Your, your target line, when you get your arm up and everything and you're throwing to a base, that, you almost said you could drop your ball and put both arms up and wherever that, that, that the plane, wherever that plane is, pointing, is, right? That's where the ball's going. And Do you so have, a, is that, there any young catchers in today's game that you really uh, enjoy watching? I enjoy watching Atlee Rushman. You know, he's a, um, he's a pretty good fundamental catcher. Um, 
At times, I don't like all the movement during the course of the windup and the delivery and everything, because like I say, it's about the precision. Uh, that, that pitcher, when he starts his windup and he sees your glove uh, about six, eight inches above the ground, right at the bottom of the knee, you know, that that ball is going to come through the, the, the very bottom corner of the strike zone. When you see that sort of thing, you know, you realize that the fundamentals mean something to them and, and they understand that uh, uh, sometimes it's where the ball ends up isn't necessarily in the strike zone, especially with curveballs. When the curveball comes through that strike zone and, and it hits your glove a couple inches above the top of the ground, it went through the corner. So you have to know exactly how big your pitcher's curveballs and sliders are in order to put the target sometimes not all the way in the strike zone. Uh, right, and that just goes back to communication again that we talked about earlier that you have to communicate yeah. with the, your, your pitchers. And, and is that something you're teaching your, your young kids as well? At the major league level, yeah, that's what happens. And even, you know, you can work on those kind of things at the amateur level. You, you learn how to communicate. You learn the personalities of the pitchers that you're facing. Some have a lot of confidence, you know, those kind of guys are fun to work with. The guys that don't have a lot of confidence or let the pressure get to them don't perform as well. So we talk about those kind of things and pretty sure the game starts to take off for them as they get older. And then people start to realize this is a pretty good player, you know? So. Uh, but when you, when you were catching and you, and you were calling games, did you change the way you called the game uh, based on who was umpiring at home plate? Did, were there, were there? No, not really, not umpiring, no. but I would change the way to call the ball game. When I got a guy out, um, uh, his first at bat on a certain pitch, I may not want to throw that pitch again uh, in the same pitch count situation uh, because I don't want him to get so locked in on what we might have to call later on in the game, you know, with men in scoring position, that sort of thing. Uh, I would let my pitcher <clears throat> throw different, uh, different pitches in different situations as long as it didn't hurt the ball club. It didn't hurt the game at the time. And it's amazing, you know, when a pitcher gets the confidence to be able to throw all of his pitches over the plate, that really makes for a fun day because you can get a lot of, a lot of hitters out on a lot of different pitches during the course of the game when they think they're going to get the same pitch they got the first time up in that pitch count. So, yeah, um, I think just, I think one of the great things about baseball is that it is a cerebral game in a lot of instances, right? It, it is, and it's it, very it, much so. Yeah, and I think you can, you know, as a player, especially a catcher, you can have a great effect on uh, the success or failure of your team because you're, you're you, you every basically every ball or every everything that happens happens right there for you <laughs> exactly yeah and it's exactly when you help a pitcher develop uh different ways to get hitters out they appreciate that and then when you call a pitch they've got the confidence to just say okay i can do this and and throw a, a different pitch in a different situation you know when the game's on the line you go with what you know you can get the guy out with and what the book says, okay? That he has trouble with breaking balls in a two-strike situation. Uh, he has trouble with two-seam fastballs, you know, that really move well. Does your pitcher's two-seamer move enough to get this guy out? 
what are we actually looking for? There were times, uh, Jeff, when I would give in to a, a good hitter in a situation where uh, it didn't really hurt the ball club. When you're behind in the count, there's nobody on base. I would say, I don't want to walk this guy. Let's draw a good fastball down and away. Right. And see, see if he can beat can us. Him, give him this base hit on the ground the opposite way. Give Gene, him a is, base hit. Or, is, there but, a, is there a young uh, a young pitcher that you mentored, um, you know, in your playing days that, that really helped get to the next level that, that you said, oh, yeah, uh, Bill Travers. I really helped Bill. <laughs> and I just picked a random, random name out of the hat. You know what I mean? But is there is there anyone anyone that you you uh, you kind of got to? You know, well, as a young pitcher, there's a said, lot of pitchers, especially guys that come out of the bullpen that you help uh, with game situations because they don't get as much experience as I do, uh, you know, being in every inning of every game. Uh, but I know Dennis Martinez, he did not like uh, me telling him what to throw all the time. But when he first came in, I just said, you know, okay, let me show you the ropes and everything. And then you, you, when you develop a confidence in yourself, you, you can shake me off whenever you want. <clears throat> so Dennis went through us. Uh, Dennis was always was one of guy, probably the best young pitcher that I ever saw. Palmer included coming into the big leagues. Yep. Okay. He had a great fastball, a great two seamer, a great curveball, a great slider, and a great changeup. And it was fun to call a game for him because in certain situations you'd let him use his fourth best pitch. You know. And, and see, because all of them were good strike pitches most of the time. So uh, we went through a stretch where he wanted to do some crazy things. He wanted to throw fastball, curveball, slider, change up to every hitter, you know, show them all his pitches. Yeah, just well, yeah, no, empty the holster, right? In, the, in, in one the whole idea is let's get him out on one pitch. Let's get him out on two, in two pitches, you know. So he went to Earl Weaver when he had a little power. Um, and um, and he said, listen, I don't like throwing to Dempsey. He, you know, he gets on me, he, you know, he gets mad at me, blah, 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 when I do certain things. And that makes me uncomfortable. I want somebody else to catch me. So Earl called me in the office with Dennis and he said, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let um, L. Rod Hendricks catch you today or something. Well, uh, L. Rod, I'm not saying L. Rod wasn't a good defensive catcher because he certainly knew the game and caught some great pitchers in his staff, but it didn't work for the next two games in a row. Dennis lost both games. So Earl was really upset. He called us all in the office again. I thought, well, you know, Earl never complimented you about anything. So I knew I was <laughs> only sure. going in there to get chewed on. And But I, I didn't have anything to do with Dennis because he – you know, he pitched, he had a different catcher his last two games. So Earl sat down, he says, Dennis, he goes, I went to the books and I looked. You've got 42 wins and 20 losses with Dempsey catching you. So Jesus Christ, don't you ever come in my game again. <laughs> I got my office again and ask for another catcher because he's going to catch you till I die. <laughs> you know, and so I just said, I started to laugh a little bit inside. I didn't crack a smile at that meeting, but as I left, I had a smile on. That was Earl's way of complimenting me, and that I was going to be back catching Dennis again. <laughs> That's very so. neat. I mean, you look at the guys, you know, uh, Tim McCarver uh, and and uh, Steve Carlton. There's all, all all guys that they have their personal catchers, and it must be for a reason because the you know different guys call different games and, and communicate differently. And yeah, they know what they want to do. Yeah, you know, and 
I make a suggestion. It doesn't mean he has to throw that pitch. He might want to throw a slider. Okay. I know you've got a great slider and it's, it's not a bad situation to call this, uh, you know, uh, Dennis, Dennis had good, every pitch was a good pitch. So at times you, you start to let them take control of their own ball game. Palmer would call his own ball game. I just happened to, he never shook me off very much because I knew what he wanted to do. You know, and I, I would tell Jim, Jim, listen, your, your changeup is so perfect off your fastball release point that the hitters don't know the day. You throw the changeup when you want to. It will not ever fool me. He says, what? He says, it won't be. I said, I see the ball coming out of your fingertips. I know immediately what it's going to be. Uh, you know, and so uh, he started throwing the changeup when he wanted to throw the changeup. And I, it always came off the fastball. If I said fastball, he'd throw wind up, he'd throw a changeup. And it never bothered me to have that. He was the only guy that I would do that with, though. Sure, he right. Had a perfect, it, he had a perfect release right? point and a perfect delivery. Well, you mentioned Jim Cott. I, I actually spoke to him last week for uh, an interview and, uh, you know, I congratulated him on getting in the hall. What type of, of uh, pitcher was Jim in, in, in those days, back in the 70s? He was probably mechanically the best pitcher I ever caught. His delivery straight up over the top. He made a good turn. He got his arm back, you know. And when he, he told me, he told me go, he worked he was, on that. He worked on that endlessly. His, I know it. And every pitcher should work on their delivery because some there's just things that change that that throw it off every now and then. But he he didn't win what 15 gold gloves for nothing. 16. Because how much? 16. 16 gold gloves. Yeah, I know that. Because he was always ready to field the ball. As soon as he released the, the ball, he was in a set position to field the ball. And so uh, and Palmer was the same way. He, he got a lot of gold gloves too. As soon yep. as he let it go, boom, he was ready to field the ball. And that ought to be an indication for almost every single pitcher in baseball that if you're, you're going to save yourself a lot of trouble and a lot of outs, if you can release the ball and be in a position to field it as soon as you let it go, that's an indicator that you have a pretty good delivery. But now these guys now are falling off so far to the first base side, right-handers and left-handers are falling off to the third base side. They have no chance of fielding a ball. Right. You, you rarely ever see them field a ball cleanly or are able to help themselves on choppers that get through the infield. So whatever. <laughs> well, Rick, I know yeah, your, your, your mailbox has not been empty for about a month. And, and I take a little blame for that, I guess, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Um, uh, I know that uh, people who, uh, who, you know, like to have uh, their baseball cards signed and everything, they, you know, that that's a quite impressive thing when they can get somebody to autograph those cards and send them back to them. Well, I love it because I get up early in the morning and I'm watching uh, uh, the, the television at the same time. And I've got a big table in my family room with nothing but baseball uh, letters from people wanting something autographed. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I actually do read the letters. And if a guy says, listen, Rick, I've, I've been a, a, a baseball fan and an autograph collector for a, a long time and I'm getting my kids involved. I'm getting my son, Joey, and I'm getting my daughter, uh, Lisa, involved in it. 
well, you know what? I've got so many extra baseball cards. I sign those little cards to Joey and Lisa and then give the father what he wants. I have a lot of extra baseball cards. And so I think they appreciate that and they like it, you know, and now they're starting to send you like $5, you know, to sign their card. It, it's, it's pretty good. You know, <laughs> I've got a little stack of, uh, you know, 50 to a hundred bucks uh, and a good little yeah, take your wife out for dinner, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, she loves it. That's for sure. But it's yeah. really kind of cool. You know, people who want baseball sign, they'll, they'll send 20, 30 bucks. I've had as much as $35 sent to me i'm not asking for that stuff you know but uh they send it and it it makes it fun you know to uh to, to put that much time into it but give a few extra bucks on the side it, it's nice you know i'm sure do you have a favorite card from your playing days i know you were my, you weren't really a collector but do you, is there a card that you really liked uh there is a card that i liked and it was after the 83 world series um it's an mvp card and it's got some gold on it. I, you know something? I can't remember exactly what company uh, put it out, but um, that that's a fun card to sign because it gives a perfect amount of space in the middle where I can write Rick Dempsey, MVP 83 WS. You will never, ever see me not write MVP 83 WS unless it's a card where I never did anything with that club. But the Yankees, I always put under there, not MVP 83 WS, but I put 76 American League champs but on all my Yankee cards. On Minnesota cards, I always put 6970 divisional champions. You know, I always write a little insignia on there for the fans because I think they appreciate that sort of. And every Oriole base, baseball card that I have, and I think I've got more baseball cards than any player in the history. Of the <laughs> well, you were more... for 24 years, so you got cards for <laughs> from 72 to 86 or 88 or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. From 69 uh, to uh, 92. Yep. And uh, there might even be a few coaching cards in there too. I don't know, but. Um... How was, um? you were at kind of the beginning of the George Steinberg era with, with the Yankees. Um, well, how, what was Mr. Steinberg like? Well, I loved him. He was a gruff guy. And if you didn't give 100%, he didn't want you on his ball club. If you didn't do it all the time, it didn't matter. If you were hitting 220, but you were one of the best hustlers on the ball club, or you always gave 100%, never say a word about you. Always a good player, blah, blah, blah. But if you quit on one fly ball or pop-up or anything like that, or you didn't hustle the first base on a ground ball and beat it out when the first baseman bobbled the ball. You know, he would jump your butt in a heartbeat, you know, and he would expect the coaches and the manager to say something to you too. But I never worried about that sort of stuff because I always gave 110% if I could, you know. So, what, but, what was uh, Tommy Lasorda like playing for? Tommy was a fun guy to play for. He really was. Um, he was a great motivator. I, I think one of the best motivators. The how, game how, did he mo how did he motivate you? And how do you think he motivated that 88 Dodger team? Well, he, there was some articles in the paper and some of the sports writers and everything um, uh, said some things about us uh, uh, in the newspaper about um, 
the we were the worst World Series team on paper in history. Bob <laughs> Costas, Bob Costas said that, and this is such a mismatch. This World Series, there's no way that the Dodgers are going to win when they're playing the mighty Oakland A's. Mighty Oakland A's, sure. On paper, were the strongest team in history in World Series. So Tommy had a meeting and he goes, Bob Costas thinks we're the worst team in (laughs) baseball history on paper, but we're going to show them how we can win this series and blah, blah, blah. And he get everybody all fired up, you know? And, and look at Kurt Gibson coming out of the dugout. Uh, he wasn't even scheduled to play any of the games, and he limps up to home plate against Dennis Eckridgely. We're down, uh, we're down a run. I think it was four to three, and he gets up there and battles it to three and two. We knew he was going to get the slider on the outside corner from Eckridgely. Boom! He bombs it into the seats, and oh, the place, went, the place went crazy. The place went crazy, and not. You know, half the, the the fans were in the parking lot going home at that time. And then you could hear the crowd cheering in the parking lot. It was so loud, you know. And uh, Tommy just reminded, you know, the guys how it doesn't matter what they say about you. Go out there and show them how good you can play together. And boom, you know, well, Tommy well, was such a good motivator. He could talk the devil out of hell. <laughs> amazing. Was the um, Earl Weaver and his his teams, was that the best X's and O's guy that you played for? Yes. Yes. Earl Weaver was the best manager I ever played for. Um, but, I mean, uh, Billy Martin was good also. But Earl, just a hair better. Uh, the way he fundamentally, Billy would fall in love with players too, like most managers do. Yep. Earl Weaver never, never fell in love with anybody. But he he knew which guys he needed to have in the lineup every single day. He knew when he had to change a person. Um, Earl used his home team, uh, his whole roster. He knew exactly when to platoon certain players, Lowenstein, Renicky, and the and, and to get that certain amount of production out of every position on the field. Al Bumbry handled center field, but on occasion he might use someone else, you know, when Al wasn't going good. Earl knew when to give a guy, take him out of the lineup, but he also knew when he absolutely needed him on defense. That's why we fundamentally and defensively were the strongest team in baseball for all the time I was there and before I got there. When Brooks Robinson came there, he showed people how important uh, good defense was. Yeah, and, and Belanger, right? Belanger was one of the best shortstop. Oh, Mark Belanger was the there. best shortstop I ever saw. Bobby Gritch was a great was second baseman. Also, but Cal wasn't as fast as Mark, but Cal was really smart at shortstop. Yeah, he knew sometimes he had to play in a little shallower on certain guys because it's the only way he could cut across the infield to get to a ball. If he missed it, he was going to miss it worse, you know, from playing deep at shortstop. But Cal was a very, very smart shortstop, and he changed the face of baseball. He proved to people that guys that weren't as fast could still play the position as long as they had good hands and they could think out there. 
Very cool. Rick, I want to thank you. We've, we've gone about an hour and, and I really appreciate your time. And we'll have You're you back ready again. you quit already? I, I know. We'll, started, we'll, we'll have you back again. <laughs> Guys, go to rickdempsey24.com. That's his official website. If you want to get Rick for a uh, speaking engagement, he is always available for speaking engagements. He is has his uh, baseball warehouse with Mike Bordick. If you have a, uh, a high school age kid, right? How What are the age of the kids? Well, the kids, we probably get them in there uh, to 12 years old and a little older. All right. But, you know, some, we're still debating on how young we, could, we should go uh, to get little league uh, kids in there, you know? Yeah. This is going to be uh, in August, right? We're in August in the Baltimore. August, we're, yeah, we've got August. Uh, we're, we're picking that time for a grand opening. Uh, we haven't uh, we haven't gotten. Uh, everything we, we need we got the we leased a, a building but it's got to be uh fixed up so that it'll accommodate everything that we need to do in the warehouse batting cages netting and yep. areas to work with all the kids but we're really looking forward to having the best uh camp uh, of any of any of these places that that teach baseball uh, we got to teach baseball the right way and get kids going in the right direction Cool. Guys, if, if you have any questions or, or you want to get more information on the baseball uh, warehouse and the baseball academy, just send me an email at ttmcast.yahoo.com and I'll forward the information off to Rick and his team. And we'll, uh, you know, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, the tri-state, the, the tri-state area down there, you want to uh, send your kid down for a couple of weeks of an academy. It's a fantastic time. Rick is also, he signs autographs through the mail, guys. So you want to get TTM, a great TTM through Rick, send him send him a card. Make sure you send a self-addressed stamped envelope. If you want to send a couple bucks to, so we can take his wife out to dinner, that's appreciated as well. <laughs> well, you know, depending on those stories that I read, you might get a couple extra cards in there for certain people. That, that, that That's always nice, too. All right. Uh, do, our, do, the, do our Orioles have a chance this year to make the playoffs? You know, they really do. Uh, they're playing better offensively than I've seen them play in a long time. Um, they still need a few improvements on defense, but as long as all of baseball is making the same mistakes, then uh, they're going to they're gonna be pretty good in there. I think that their, their bullpen shows signs of brilliance at times. And their yeah, that kid starters, Cano is really good. The oh, kid yeah. in the bullpen for the Orioles, Cano is really good. Yes. Yeah. Well, they've come up with a lot of pretty good uh, guys out of the bullpen that are getting opportunities to pitch in the way that they structured things today. I know. And for a, for a change, they get to buy at the trading deadline as opposed to selling off pieces, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So they're, they're at a point right now where they're capable of doing anything. You know, they're, they're, they're in second place. Uh, it's strong. I mean, it's going to be tough to, to get Tampa Bay out of there. Uh, they've got a good, very well-balanced ball club. There are ways to beat them, but they have to be smart. They have to watch hitters. They have, you know, be able to to pick up little things that'll help them in tough situations. Yeah, and not 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 give them extra outs. That's the big thing. Not give them, exactly. don't give them extra outs. Don't walk guys and don't give them extra outs. Right? <laughs> Stay out of the happy zone. That's right. It's simple. It's a simple game. <laughs> All right, Rick. Yeah, thank, thank you very, very much. much. I appreciate the time on your show. You're a great guy. You ask good questions. So I'm looking forward to getting together with you again. All right, Paul. Thank you. Stay well. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.
Guys, getting the value of your trading cards has never been easier thanks to the free Collects app. And now you can buy and sell cards with other collectors. With a million collectors on the app, you can find just about anything. Build your PC, sell off your cards for top dollar, and trade up to get your Grail card. Or if you're just looking to manage your collection, try Collects Pro, where you can export your collection, print checklists, and much more. Download Collect C-O-L-L-X for free on the App Store or Google Play. Yeah, Drew, it was a couple weeks ago, last weekend, I was, it was Sunday, about 11 o'clock, I'm sitting there uh, in the living room with, with the family, and all of a sudden, I, my phone rings, and it's Rick Dempsey. I go, really? <laughs> like, all right. Nice. He, he had so much fun um, just talking baseball with me, and he's, he's just a, a nice guy. And uh, he's like, yeah, I want to come back on the show. Like anytime, yeah. you guys, any anyone that wants to come back on the show, you just have to what, give me a call or send me an email address. We'll, we'll have you on, right? As long as you're passionate about what you're doing. And, you know, yeah. we're always looking for collectors. So if you're uh, you're a collector and you want to be on the show, specifically our Saturday shows, and you want to be in our, in our collector's corner, we'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at ttmcast at yahoo.com. And we'll get you on. I've got a, I've got a couple of uh, feelers out for for future interviews. Um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up, so we've got a lot of great shows. I want to thank all our uh, listeners. Right, we got all these new listeners out there. Yep. Welcome, Drew. We are we are right at seventy thousand downloads. Oh, all nice. Time. All right. So it just keep it keeps uh, growing and growing. So, guys, thank you. Um, this Saturday we have um, Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn, not that Steve Wynn from Las Vegas. Steve Wynn from the baseball project. He is that, that is a super band, right? A super group. Yeah. And we've been t- kind of teasing that um, the last couple of uh, days. And we're going to have, we're going to hear from Steve Wynn about their new CD. They have a new CD coming, coming out and uh, drill, I'll hold it up for you. Cause I got, we're going to be giving away two of them. Oh, nice. I, I have two CDs called the grand salami time. The, and what the, one of the, sh- uh, um, one of the songs is grand salami. And it's all about, uh, Kiss to goodbye in phrases that they use for home runs. Nice. And that's in the stadium. Then they have a, a, a song called um, The Journeyman, which is really cool. They have a, a song about fantasy baseball. Right. Uh, and there's also 64-64, which is, I'm not sure what that is. He, they really like that, but there's all sorts of cool stuff. They also have, I don't know if you've heard it, Drew, they have a, a song called um, The Baseball Card Song. Yes, I have heard that. It was on their third album, I think. Yeah, yes. it, it's very good. So, um we're gonna have, we're gonna like, hear. I'm glad Steve. my mom didn't throw my baseball cards away or something yeah. like that. Was one of the lines in it. Yep. Yep. So we're gonna hear from Steve Wynn from the Baseball Project, and we're gonna uh, raffle off two CDs. So not don't send anything for CDs yet. That's Saturday. We're gonna start Saturday raffle for yep. CDs, and uh, we also have Les Wolf. We're gonna he's gonna do his appraisal uh, slash opinion on items. So if you want to um, get Les's opinion, if you know you want to question on the value of something or if the uh, autograph is good all you have to do is send me send me your um picture and a description send it to ttmcast at yahoo.com the most the the, the most valuable the, the the strongest what do we call it the most powerful email in the hobby right yes there we go <laughs> and we'll, we'll we'll um les will do an appraisal slash opinion on that that will be on this saturday show so i need those items by the end of the day today which will be wednesday the 14th um and we'll don't worry we'll do we'll be doing uh we'll try to do one a month so if you don't get in for this one you can certainly get in for next month but send that along um next week we're gonna hear from andy broom from csg 
He is the vice president of uh, grading at CSG, and they're gonna they have a big announcement coming. I can't let the cat mm -hmm. out of the bag, but we're gonna they have a big announcement coming next week. So we're gonna talk to Andy about uh, all the exciting things happening at CSG. Drew, anything else to, do you want to add before I let you go? No, I think we're pretty well covered in there. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that my mailbox actually has some stuff in it. Cause I mean, we're up to, you know, recording this on Tuesday and I'm empty so far. It's, it's, uh -oh. it's weird. This isn't good. I'm, I'm sure it'll come through guys. Yeah. Send out your TTM requests. I finally got a bunch out. I know Drew's, Drew's got a whole pile of them ready to go. I want to wish everyone many, many happy returns. We will see you on Saturday. Be good.